We're doing a summer sermon series in the Psalms entitled The Songs of Summer. (laughs) And this morning we're in Psalm 25. So if you'll turn there with me to Psalm 25. And listen then for the voice of God. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. For no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Therefore remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, and therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what's right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. So for the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it's great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. So my eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. So guard my life and rescue me. Don't let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. The word of the Lord. The woman who's cut my hair for 20 years is searching for a spirituality that's pragmatic, authentic, and a receptacle big enough for life's loves and losses. A lapsed Catholic, she enjoys the energetic rock show of an evangelical megachurch, tries new agey healing practices, energy work, chakras, that sort of stuff, and has been down an alcohol-soaked path of marriage, divorce, dating, and now living with her first husband. 
She wants friends, realistic answers, and things to go her way. But she is exhausted by the search, is simultaneously bored and overwhelmed by the spiritual smorgasbord of modern American life, and prays that this next AA meeting, this next AA retreat, will give her what she's looking for. I, th I think she's a lot like us. She's a lot like a lot of us. Searching for a spirituality that can hold life's joys and sorrows, that resonates with our experience, and that's accessible, that fits our lives. Spirituality seems essential to being human. Every class, creed, and culture knows some expression of spirituality, except for the most strident materialist or ardent Atheists, the vast majority of people believe in a spirituality, spiritual reality, beyond this physical reality. There's something more than just atoms, genes, and evolutionary patterns. And human history points to a deep longing for an experience of that other reality. The story of our collective religious impulse is a long, universal story. My barber, hair, hairdresser, my barber's not alone in her desire for a connection to the spiritual, to a higher power, to a God to love. Dear friends, the Psalms are a songbook of human spirituality. They're songs of praise and lament, blues and ballads, ballads regal anthems to joy and lonely desperate cries. They're songs of protest and melodies of love. The Psalms give expression to the whole range of human experience and emotion, and they bear witness to an engagement with God. But we, like my barber, for example, often want something more exciting, more engaging, more mindful of the complexities and general cussedness of the contemporary world. And reading, singing, or sitting with the Psalms requires a certain discipline, a patience, an openness to a certain aesthetic. It's not the first place that most people look for their spirituality. 
Martin Luther counters with this line. The Psalter is a book of all saints, and everyone, in whatever situation he may be, finds in that situation psalms and words that fit his case, that suit him as if they were put there just for his sake, so that he could not be better himself or find or wish for anything better. Now, clearly a child of his sextus times, Luther sees the Psalms as a record or a mouthpiece of human spirituality. They offer a full orbed, the fullness of the full orb, a full orb spirituality for the fullness of the human experience. And that's quite a claim. Which brings us to Psalm 25. Psalm 25 is an acrostic. What's an acrostic? The first letter of the first word of each verse follows the order of the Hebrew alphabet. That's why it, it, that psalm sort of jumps around in, as you read it. But for a largely limited or illiterate people, it served as a memorization tool. It helped get this song on people's lips and in people's hearts. And it's also meant to suggest the fullness of life, from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, from Aleph to Tau. Hebrew letters, Aleph, Tau. So this psalm is meant not for a little segment of life, the spiritual part, but for the whole thing, for all of life. And therefore the psalmist offers his or her <clears throat> whole self. The opening line, in you, Lord my God, I put my trust, is probably better translated to you, Lord, I lift up my soul. What's lost in translation is the sense or the image of our arms outstretched, lifting up. Think of Simba in The Lion King. The psalm images us lifting up the fullness of our lives, our identities, our hopes and fears, our very selves to the Lord. And therefore, Psalm 25 is not an invitation to self-help. It doesn't cut corners like the student who only wants to know what will be on the test. It's not written by one who thinks he or she knows better or looking for a technique for success. Rather, the ground, the first move, the beginning place of the psalmist's spirituality is surrender. It's offering up our lives. Now, when I've 
When I've encountered young people with alcohol or addiction issues, I've known pretty quickly that I was in over my head. So I try to hook them up with therapists or addiction counselors. However, I've also taken a few to their first AA or NA, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous meetings. And for a couple of kids, it worked. For others, not so much. What sticks out is knowing that they weren't ready to do the work when they'd report that they weren't as bad as those people or they thought that they'd do recovery on their own. Those that stayed gave up power. They admitted they were powerless and decided to trust the program. They turned to recovering addicts. They got sponsors and they said, I'll do whatever you tell me. Psalm 25 has that spirit. In offering up the fullness of our lives to God, we set aside or mitigate our tendency to think we know better. The psalmist asks, without precondition, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God and Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Cultivating a full-orbed biblical spirituality begins with offering up our hearts to God and then asking to be taught. Still with me? Marginally. <laughs> Thomas Bogart, retired Old Testament professor and resident mystic at Western Seminary, writes this. The human heart is permeable and heavily influenced by the various powers in our world. Although we tend to think the heart is autonomous and its own master, the heart is more like a cloud shape shifting in the air currents than a rock washed up on the lakeshore. The heart is open to the influence of the spirit who comes and dwells there but it's also open to the influence of other spirits. For example, other people ranging from parents to teachers to pastors to the, to the proverbial Joneses with whom we want to keep up. The heart is also open to the influence of the culture around us. Cultures, values, and rituals have heart-shaping power. And dear friends, that's to say that developing 
a full-orbed spirituality is a long, slow process because all sorts of forces are shaping our permeable and porous hearts. And the humility required to open our hearts to God's instruction can just feel like too much. Others do the same thing and end up at differing places of interpretation or practice. So why bother? Why try? Why put in the effort? Why keep trying? We get comfortable, we get set in our ways, we get bored, we get overwhelmed, we get jaded, we get cynical, we get busy, we get, we get. And I don't have an answer for that. Again, I think Psalm 25 is instructive. Because listen again to this line. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. The psalmist offers up his or her heart to be taught because of God's great mercy and love. In Hebrew, those two words are reham and hesed. Reham, compassion or mercy, is linked to the Hebrew word for womb. God's mercy is tied closely to the concept of womb love, the love a mother feels for her yet-to-be-born child. It's a mercy that comes from the womb of God. You know Hesed. It's the covenantal, God's covenantal love. It gets translated all sorts of different ways. Unfailing love, loyal love, loving kindness, faithful love. A love that never fails, never runs out, never walks away. So dear friends, I think the reason the psalmist pursues and keeps pursuing a full-orbed spirituality is because of the raham and hesed of God. The requests, take me and teach me, are only possible because of God's great mercy and unfailing love. So whoever we are, Wherever we are, however old we are, however young we are, whatever we're facing, 
May we know the depth and breadth of that same mercy and love. May our spirituality be rooted in that same mercy and love. And may it be matched by a measure of humility. When I was uh, floundering in college, hard to believe, I know. (laughs) When I was floundering in college with no sense of purpose or place, the Christian faith and the culture built around the Christian faith seemed like a wall that I didn't understand. I'd grown up in it. I didn't understand it. I couldn't scale it. I didn't want a thing to do with it. And yet I was longing for a spirituality that worked, just like my barber, that was authentic and accessible and big enough to hold life's loves and losses. And my father gave me a book. (laughs) You have no idea how ironic that is because he gave me so many books. That was the answer to every question. My father gave me a book by the Trappist monk Thomas Merton. It included a prayer. I carried that prayer... (laughs) I carried that prayer around for years. And like Psalm 25, it was the ground out of whatever spirituality it was that sustained me. So it's my prayer for my barber. And it's our prayer for all of us. Shall we pray? My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.